And yes, Lord, walking in your ways, your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts more than we want to make a name for ourselves or our companies or our church or our sports teams, more than we want any other name. We want to be known by the name of Jesus Christ because your name is the only name given among human beings by which we must be saved. And I thank you for the power of your name that has changed our lives and is changing our church and can change our city. And we pray, Lord, that you will continue to perfect the work that you've begun in us, that nothing would interrupt your work in this church and in us, Lord, until we become more and more conformed to your son, less and less living life about us and about ourselves and more and more about you. This is our prayer. This is our heart's desire. Yes, Lord, walking in your ways, your renown and your name are the desire of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Good to worship with you. Good to sing these beautiful songs. And it's good to come back to the table. It's been a while. I was trying to figure out with the staff how long it had been since we came to the table. You'll hear that expression from time to time. All the parties came back to the table in a negotiation. Everybody came back to the table. And the idea is if we could just get back to the table, people could find a way to agree with each other and to get along. And this table serves a very similar role in the life of the church. Because when we come to this table, we remember that the price for our peace with God has been paid in full. That we don't owe anything because Jesus paid it all. And if we have peace with God, then we can have peace with one another. But as surely as I say that, then I wonder, do we really believe as divided as our world is, even as divided as Christians are in our world, do we really believe that there's a power that's great enough to actually bring us to a place of unity? We divide over so many things. Just this week I found online um, the ABCs of church conflict. And each letter of the alphabet represented a word over which Christians sometimes fight. And I would tell you what the ABCs are, but I don't want to get anything started this morning. And even reading the words, I thought, well, yeah, that's a problem. Well, yeah, that's a problem. And before long, you're thinking, wow, how can all these things be problems? And I'll just give you a couple of them because B, baptism is one. And believe it or not, Christians argue over baptism. And L stood for the Lord's Supper because even the table that was supposed to bring us together can become a point of controversy. And some people think it means one thing and other people think it means something else. And in the middle of that, the Apostle Paul believed that the church at Corinth should come to the Lord's table in unity, but he uses a word, schisms, divisions, even when they came to the Lord's table. And in fact, he sets the table in chapter one. So would you open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter one, verses 10 through 17. We started studying Corinthians together. Somebody asked me this week, how long are we going to study Corinthians? I said, till it gets through to us, we're going to study Corinthians till we get it. And I don't know how long that's going to take, but I think it's important. 
And uh, last week we talked about how God has called us and gifted us. And I hope you sense God's calling in your life, that God has a greater purpose for your life and that he's giving you right now the gifts that you need to do what he's called you to do. Now let's take another step on this journey as we think together about what it means to be united in Christ. Would you stand with me in reverence for our God? Because he really speaks to us when we read his word together. This is our prayer as we open his word. And Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anybody else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Paul loved the Christians in Corinth. We know that. You you just read the letter. He loved them so much that he was willing to take them to task. Because sometimes the people who love us the most are not the ones who pat us on the back and say, just keep doing what you're doing because everything you do is always perfect. No, people who love us are those who look us in the eyes and say, I've sensed a shift in your soul. And God told me to tell you about that. That's the role that Chloe played in the early church. And I don't even know who Chloe was, but Paul, Paul lets them know that she was the whistleblower. She was the tattletale who went to Paul and said, you will not believe it. They are taking sides and choosing teams around their spiritual leaders. And the essence of the controversy seemed to be that some of them believed they had a higher wisdom a greater spiritual knowledge. And maybe they attributed it to a particular spiritual leader. So someone said, I'm sticking with Paul because I know Paul is right. And others are saying, but Apollos was trained in Alexandria, one of the intellectual centers of the ancient world. Great big library, great big mind, very smart guy, incredible speaker, rhetorician, amazing orator. Apollos is my guy. And somebody else says, yeah, but Peter, Cephas, the rock, He walked with Jesus for three years. And didn't Jesus say to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my faith. And others said, a pox on all your houses. We're with Jesus. Doesn't that even sound sanctimonious as as, as I say that out loud? Like, yeah, we're the ones who are closest to Jesus. I don't know about you people, but you can follow your Paul and your Paulus and Peter, but we go back to the source, Jesus himself. And Paul says to them, this is unbelievable. Christ did not die on the cross so that you could be divided. In fact, he says, there's only one name by which you can be saved. There's only one who was crucified for you. There's only one in whose name you're baptized. And by the way, it's not Paul, it's Christ. And you will know 
that you are really walking with Christ when you come together in a unity that means you say the same thing and your minds are brought together around one purpose. And one of the signs as we think about discipleship of spiritual discipleship in our lives, one of the the signs of the mind of a disciple is that there's unity. We think together. It doesn't mean we think the same thing about everything. It means that we think the same thing about the things that really matter the most. Christ crucified, risen from the dead, the foundation of our faith, the very center and cornerstone of the church of Jesus Christ. And I think John Wesley was right about this when he said, in essentials, there has to be unity. In non-essentials, there should be liberty. We should give each other freedom on things that aren't quintessential. And in all things, he said, there should be charity. We ought to love. Love ought to rule the day. Love ought to draw bigger circles till we bring people in. And when I start talking about unity, some people get nervous and go, wait a minute, you're talking about spiritual compromise on the scriptures. No, I don't want to compromise anything. But I'll tell you this, we will really know that we're being true to the scriptures when we love each other the way that Christ loved us. When we put Christ at the center of our thoughts and we begin to hold each other up in love and honor and not criticize each other, that will be a good sign. And as sure as I say that, I realize we live in a world in which the church of Jesus Christ is greatly divided. You just have to look at a church directory for our city. But then last Sunday night in our choir loft, 200 and something people, some of them Baptists, some of them Methodists, some of them Presbyterians, and they were all singing about the same Savior and about the glorious name of our Lord. And if I may say so, it was glorious. It was glorious. It was surround sound. And there was this sense that that what we share in common in Christ is greater than anything that could ever divide us. We're still divided by quarrels of various kinds. And the Apostle Paul understood that. He said, quarrels will divide you. And Chloe tells her that there are these these schisms or divisions in the church. The word quarrel itself is a word that means a hotly contested argument. So it's not so much dialogue as it's diatribe. People sort of getting on their high horses and saying, and I'm going to tell you another thing. Ever been in a meeting like that? And I'm going to tell you another thing. And the fingers start getting pointed. And then the uh, cortisol starts rising in our brains. And we want to fight or we want flight. We either want to fight or we want to flee. But we, something's got to happen because we're upset. And easy, at least I looked at those 26 and I thought, if I read those 26 letters of the alphabet and the words out loud, we would have disagreement in this church over those things. And yet Christ calls us to a greater unity still. And I know that quarrels divide us. I I know that that's true. And we can sort of choose our teams and say we're right and they're wrong. Be be careful of that. John Wesley also had had a dream one time that he went to heaven and he stood outside the gate and he shouted into the people on the inside. Any Presbyterians here? No, came the answer. Any Baptists? No, that makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? We thought we were going to be the only ones there. (laughs) Any Congregationalists here? No. Any Church of Christ here? No. Any any Methodists here? Now, John Wesley founded the Methodist Church. He's hoping they're going to say yes. No. Well, then who's in heaven, he says in his dream, and the voice comes back jubilantly, Christians. Because in here, we're all Christians. 
What we have in common is Jesus Christ. And I would just encourage us not to be divided. And I just have to tell you, I've been around the church long enough. I remember as a kid being a part of this vital church that was just full of people. I mean, it was just amazing. The energy and the love I felt when I went in that room, one of my first memories of church. And then I remember one Sunday I walked in and my mom and I sat down with my brothers and there was almost nobody there. And I said to mom, what happened? And she said, the church split. It was over spiritual gifts actually. And the church had this division. The pastor took a group of people this way and another group of people went that way. And I thought, man, that is bad. I mean, I didn't know much, but I knew that wasn't right for a church that was so alive to be divided. And the enemy would love to divide the body of Christ over any number of issues in this world. And it's true that Christ called us to follow him and even to forsake um, mother and father and brother and sister to be right. But here's what I would say. If we're right, we're going to be right with each other and we're going to give each other freedom and we're always going to love each other. And then on those essential issues, we're going to say, now this, this matters, that Christ was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on a cross, that he rose again that he's coming again. These are essential kinds of issues that the people of God believe the same thing. And we're united in that. But there are a lot of specifics that people argue about that really aren't worth it. E example, my, my first church that I pastored, I was just a teenager and um, the church was growing and we had these opera chairs that they had bought during World War II. You know, each like, like a, a theater chair, but it's kind of hard wood and, um, and everyone folded down. And so we were sort of, you know, seated, seated separately in the church and a group in the church said, we need pews, you know, like the churches, like the first Baptist church of Rosebud, the big church. They've got padded pews. What if we had padded pews? And, and so we took it to the deacons meeting and the deacons voted seven to zero, no padded pews in this church. We sweat blood, one of my brothers said, for those opera chairs and we'd like to keep them a little bit longer. But in the business meeting, the deacons' wives and the widows outvoted the deacons. And we got pews, great, luxurious, com well, I don't know how luxurious they were, but comfortable pews. And we were all sitting on our pews, but one of the deacons said, I'm never coming back to that church. And then one Sunday night he did. And there were some people who were mad because we had pews. And there were other people who were really um, mad at um, the others because they had wanted to stop the pews. And they sort of felt like, hey, we got our way. And there was a little bit of gloating going on. And I just abandoned my sermon for the night. And I, I, and I, I just stood up and I said, you know, I don't, these were my first words. They could have been my last words at the church. Thankfully they weren't. But I said, I don't think God cares what we sit on. Pin drop. <laughs> I don't think God cares what we sit on, but he does care about the way we treat each other. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can come together. So let the pro pew party put down your swords and the anti-pew party put down your swords. And, and, and you know, we did, and there was unity and there was great growth and God blessed the church. Just like the deacons, we're gonna ordain some deacons tonight, just like the deacons in, in the book of Acts, when they, when they start solving that problem of the people who feel neglected in the daily food distribution, suddenly the church begins to grow again and they start winning the people to Christ that were really hard to win to Christ. Some of the priests started becoming believers and God did an amazing thing when the church decided to become one. Jesus prayed, John 17, make us one, make them one so that the world may be one for you. And when we're not one, look, we don't have any good news to give if we're divided because a divided church is just bad news. My, my friend down the road, Cedar Springs, it was kind of a tougher story because 
they had an annual uh, homecoming in Cedar Springs, uh, Texas. And in Cedar Springs, the Methodist church sponsored it one year and the Baptists did the next year. And the Methodists allowed you to play dominoes in the fellowship hall, but the Baptists didn't. And one of the Baptist deacons said, I'm tired of the Methodists having all the fun. And so we're gonna play dominoes. And my, my friend who was a pastor, Wayne Gray said, I don't think we ought to stir up a hornet's nest over this. And the deacon looked at him and said, I do. And he did. And the 14 members of that church split evenly down the middle over dominoes in the fellowship hall, seven and seven. And the spirit of God must have wept over that place because of, of, of the division in the church and their quarrels and, 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 and it's just not worth it. And sometimes it's just the littlest thing. Never underestimate how devious the enemy is in getting us to disagree so that we get high and mighty and we feel self-righteous and we're right and they're wrong and we choose our teams and it's Paul and Apollos and Cephas and Jesus all over again. And Christ has called us to more than that. I read that a few years ago, two really well-known musicians who have been doing concerts together since 1995. Helene Grimaud, anybody know great pianist? She's a fantastic uh, on the piano. And she and Claudio uh, Abada were um, working together. He was the conductor, she was the pianist. And it was amazing music until one day she said, you know this little one minute and 20 second cadenza and Mozart's 23rd? I want to put something different in there. And he said, wait a minute, I'm the conductor. I get to choose. And she said, wait a minute, I'm the one playing. I get to choose. And they divided and canceled their concerts in Switzerland and London over a one minute and 20 second piece of music. Thousands of people were denied the joy of hearing great music. This is what's at stake. Paul says the gospel itself's at stake. When we meet together, the way we love each other, the good news that we profess is at stake. And we say, you know, united we stand, divided we fall. It's actually worse than that. In Denmark, they did a study recently of people ages 36 to 52 and asked their health and then asked them about conflict in their lives. 11 years later, they found out 442 of those 10,000 people had died which is actually statistically about right. That's not an extraordinary number. I guess unless you're one of the 442. And then you're like, whoa, what happened to me? But, but, but 442 out of 10,000 is not unusual. Here's what was unusual. The ones who said that they were often or constantly in conflict were two to three times more likely to die of all causes during that period of time. That's what, see, it's not, look, here it is. United, we live, divided, we die. Physically, spiritually, in every way you can imagine, if you live under constant tension and anger, it will affect your body, your soul, your mind in every imaginable way that is not good. Quarrels divide us. But Paul says, Christ unites us specifically. He says, I appeal to you, verse 10, in the name, in the name. Look, how serious is Paul about the name? Okay, 10 verses, this is the 10th time. He mentions Jesus by name. Why? I appeal to you, he says, in the name. Not in the name of Paul, not in the name of Apollos or Peter, in the name of Christ. Why? Because Paul knew what we must know, that that name is a powerful name. Paul, Paul knew what the, the apostles had preached in Acts chapter four. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Paul knew what he had written to the Philippian church when, when he said, God has given Jesus the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the father. The name of Jesus is more important 
important than our names. So be wary of those believers who are making a name for themselves. We live in a day of celebrity Christians. It's a very interesting day. I don't know what yet to think of it, but I know this, that Christ is the only celebrity in the body, that it's not about us, it's about him. And if we can get that right, it will set us on a path that is honoring to him in ways that really, really matter. And he says, the problem is if I get wrapped around personality and, 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 and Paul admitted in, in, in another letter, he said, look, you say that my, my, um, my letters are weighty. We've got his letters and they are pretty weighty. He said, his speech is weak. He's not a very impressive speaker. Now, Apollos, he, would, he could electrify a crowd. And here's the poor apostle Paul. He, he apparently was not as gifted in, in Roman oratory in, in Greek rhetoric as, uh, as Apollos was. But he said, here's the problem. If we begin to depend on the power of our own personalities, we can hear the sound. It's the sound of power leaking because the only power we really have to bring to the world is the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's all we've got. And the good news is, it's all we need. The power of Christ lifted up on the cross and this is what we proclaim. So, so our purpose is not to impress people. And this is so hard for us because most everybody I know likes to be liked. But if we build a church on people liking to be liked, we will miss the point that all of our love, our mind's attention, our heart's affection must be reserved for Christ alone. Because as Paul said, when he said, was Paul crucified for you? Of course, the answer was no. But the resounding truth underneath that was, but Christ was. Christ was crucified for you. And his blood was sufficient to save you. And his arm is strong to save. And so you can put all of your trust in the power of the cross of Jesus Christ because it stands the test of time. In Russia, they had a great sculptor named Nizvestny. He's their best sculptor, amazing sculptor. Back during the communist reign in, in, in Russia, he was their best sculptor. He was also a Christian, which sort of annoyed the communist leaders, but they lived with it because he was their most gifted sculptor. And they asked him, commissioned him to do a 50 foot by 50 foot wall to cover the communist party building. And he had to have each of the panels of that wall approved by the Communist Party and everyone was approved. And then they put it all together. You want to see it? Here it is. And they noticed that there was a cross in the middle. And they said, you put a cross over the Communist Party and they exiled him to Switzerland. They sent their best sculptor away because he had dared to put a cross. He said, it was really a face, but I guess there is a cross there. But, but they said, no, no, if you're gonna put a cross over, but here's the interesting thing, that, that emblem of the cross is still there over the old Communist Party building, but the Communist Party is gone. The cross stands. Those who oppose the cross fall. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. The shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land, a, a, a home within the wilderness, a rest upon the way from the burning of the noontide heat and the burden of the day. And Jesus said, and I, when I am lifted up, will draw all people to myself. 
And I was reminded this week, Joshua Barrett reminded me that if you tune a hundred pianos to each other, you will have cacophony. Nothing will be in tune. But if you tune the same pianos to a tuning fork, you know what a tuning fork is? There it is, a tuning fork. They'll all be in tune with each other because they're all in tune. And I asked in the office because I wanted to show you in person today. Anybody have it? I always want to call it a pitchfork, which I think is a different thing, right? But I mean, a tuning fork shows you pitch. And I said, does anybody have a tuning fork? We got amazing musicians. Nobody had a tuning fork. You mean all of Tallowood, but maybe we do have a tuning fork. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ is a power great enough to bring all of us together no matter what our differences have been. Because here's a new alphabet. This is not the alphabet of church conflict. He's the answer for our agony. He's the balm for our bruises. He's the cure for our calamity. He's the deliverer from our diseases. He's our eternal everything. He's a faithful father. He's a great and gracious and good God. This God is high and he's holy. He's immortal. He's invincible. He's a just judge. He's the king of the kings. He's the Lord of the lords. He's the master of the mighty. I can go on. I just want you to know he's enough. And if he's not enough, then nothing in this world ever will be enough. And this power of the cross is what we celebrate when we come back to the table, confessing our sins, receiving his grace. Paul said, let a person examine herself, examine himself before we eat this bread and drink this cup. So would you just take a moment now of silence as we pray before we eat and drink. Just pray right now. And if there's anything you need to get right with the Lord, this is the time. And the good news is the blood of Jesus is enough. He says, come, let us reason together. Your sins may be like scarlet. They'll be as white as snow. They may be red like crimson. They'll be like wool because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we confess our sins to you today. And we admit that nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to your cross we cling. Not in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ we plead. God, give us grace. Forgive us of our sins. And Lord, we pray that you would help us even in the eating of this bread and drinking of this cup to give thanks, to taste and see that you are good. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.